time a church, any time a person is trying to live for Christ and do the right thing, Satan is angry. He will rise up. We have to be the stronger person. Our response has to be better than the stimulus and the attack that Satan gives us. Would you agree? We have to. If we don't respond properly, if we respond immaturely, inappropriately, if we respond in such a way that it brings attention to ourselves, we're taking the focus away from God. And we're taking the focus away from our walk with God. That hurts. Because sometimes we want to beat our chest and say, look at me, look at what I'm going through. Look at the sufferings I've had. to." No, it's not about any of that. What you have in Christ... You have in Christ because He suffered for you. Your sufferings are minuscule compared to that. If we're really trying to affect lives for Christ, Satan will attack us. But the joy that comes from it, and I tell people this all the time, don't be put off by that. I just want you to be prepared because the joy, the payment that comes back from that, and we really don't deserve anything, but call it what you will, But what we get in return, the peace and the joy of knowing that our future is secure, knowing who Christ is, knowing that he's real, knowing that the Bible is true, and living it gives us a peace that passes all understanding. We can go through these trials, the financial trials, stresses of physical things and things that are going on in our lives, people who reject us, family members who will fight with us because we know who we are in Christ, and it makes us better people. James asks or tells us in this passage, in James 1, chapter 5, I'll be in James 1 and 3, he says this in 5, he says, If any of us lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Wisdom is spoken of in Proverbs many different ways. But I know this much. Without wisdom, we will make fools of ourselves. Even good-intentioned people will make fools of themselves if we don't have wisdom. Just ask the guys who do things out on the highway when they're driving fast. You know, they laugh at you when they drive. And I always tell my kids, you know, they'll pass me up if I'm doing 65. I could be doing 75 on that stretch by 144th, and they'll still zoom by me. And I say, you know what? People with a lead foot will generally get caught. And at some point, you'll probably pass them on the highway with the little red lights behind them. God has a way of taking care of it. You don't have to worry about it. But our response many times is a response of worldly things, and that's, it's going to tie in. That's my tie into next week. Our response tends to be what we see and what we think we are deserving of now because of who we are. We're good people. We don't deserve to be mistreated that way. So our response is just. Is it really? Is our response, even if we feel justified, is it just? No. We need to be friendly out there, not just friendly in here, but friendly out there. It's easy for us to get caught up in day-to-day life and take the guy over at Wendy's for granted when we go across the street. It's easy for us to forget that when we go shopping at King Supers that the checker's been there probably since 7 o'clock this morning, hasn't been in a worship service, obviously, 
and we're in a hurry to buy whatever it is we're buying so that we can finish our lunch after we leave here in church, and we leave them with nothing. What deposit could we make in the personal responsibility bank for us to give them joy, to give them love, to give them happiness? So much more is about the people around us. And we, 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 we make our responses not knowing the people that we impact. We go off like a grenade, and then we wonder why the shrapnel wounded everybody around us. Because it was just about us. It wasn't about anybody else. Right? You ever been like that? Nobody has to put up with me. If I'm in a bad mood, I'm fine. I'll just go to my room. That's probably the best place for you to go. Because when you go off in front of people, it's like a grenade going off. And the shrapnel affects everybody. We need wisdom. And God says, if we lack wisdom, James writes to us, says, we should ask God. There's an invitation there. It's available, but he says this, we have to ask, don't we? He didn't say, Christian, you now have wisdom. It's not how it reads, is it? Read it again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. He's talking to Christians. If we lack wisdom, we need to ask God, who gives generously to all. And the thing is, is if you read this, and you read it in its original form, in the original languages, he really is saying there we need to continually be asking. Not just ask and say, God, give me wisdom, and then go through our day and say, well, I've got my wisdom. The way the Greek actually reads there is, is we need to be continually asking for wisdom. If we lack wisdom, continually ask God through the day. Little things. Before I spout off at this person in the store, before I say something I'm going to regret, before I get angry, Should I slow down a minute and continually ask God for wisdom? Is there a better time to take this up, a private place? Is there a better way to discuss with other people what's going on in life? Is there a better way of handling the situation? Should I stop? God, give me wisdom here. God, help me when I have to make decisions. Should I buy a house or should I stay in the apartment? Should I get married? Should I not? Should I kick him out? Should I keep him? Should I kick her out? Should I keep her? Should I do this? Should I... We don't give God enough credit to ask Him to act in every aspect of our lives. I work in a lab by myself most times, but I'm surrounded by people that I talk to. Every day, my prayer when I go into work is I close my locker and I put on my lab coat, is God, who do you want me to influence today? God, who is it that I can give something to? You can't not be who you are. Our response has to be thoughtful. And we need to ask God to help us to have the right answer. So he gives us the request. Continually ask God, and the promise is this. He tells us, if we give, and he will give to us. If we ask, he will give generously without reproach. But let him, here's the kicker, ask in faith. Ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. If we ask in faith, you say, I ask in faith all the time. Do you really? Do you believe? Do you believe God will answer? Or do you ask for your own desire? Say, God, I really want that car and I know you want it for me. 
God, I want that that TV, and I need that gaming system because, you know, that would make me happy. It would keep me home. I wouldn't spend as much money. Yeah, you will. God, if you just give me the desires, you know, this one desire of my heart, I think the rest of it could fall into place and I could serve you better. When you say yes to Christ, what you're telling God is, is, you know what? I'm going to live for you. You're going to direct my path. And sometimes God's going to put you in a place where you may not think you want to be. You have to respond. Are you going to let him be the Lord of your life? Or are you going to let him be the Lord of part of your life? Say, yeah, but that might cost me. That's the problem. That's why people today don't respond in faith. They respond in emotion. They just responded in emotion. And the problem is many times in the church, we're okay with that. We just want to see something physical happen so that we can say it happened. I've never been like that. We're so anxious to be able to put a check mark in our Bibles of saying, yeah, I got that one that we really didn't put the hard work in to really know that they were saved. And we didn't disciple them. Discipleship is so important. And discipleship starts at the pulpit. I agonize over these messages to make sure they're exactly what I think they should be. And not only that, but that they're tailored to a way that I think the congregation as a whole needs to. Because somebody else may take this and preach it in an entirely different way to a different group of people. That's okay. Because if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing... God's Word is living and active, right? He gives us the desire of our heart when we ask in faith. If you truly want godly wisdom, He will give it to you liberally, without reproach. Now, what is the evidence? James illustrates what wisdom looks like practically in chapter 3. Here's the tie-in with this, and then it's pretty much it. To the end of the chapter here, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, if you have selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's not me saying it. It's the Word of God. It's harsh. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, James gives us a nice picture of what looks like godly peace, but what is really demonic and what is, fault, what is true peace and godly. So many people will take the wisdom from the world and make it their own and try and twist it to make it God's wisdom, but it's not. If we can't take the wisdom that we have and we live our lives with and we can't tie it in with something as simple as Galatians 5 and the fruit that Paul writes of there, 
then James's words to us would be meaningless. We have to be able to tie the two together. That's why he even says here, he says, a harvest of righteousness, a harvest. And he says, with the wisdom from above is peaceable, full of mercy and good fruits. Good things happen to people who come humbly. There is no place for envy or strife when true wisdom abounds. People will go to utter lengths to help one another. They won't be envious. They won't be strife-filled. And unfortunately, we see some of that in the church today, but I pray it never happens in this building and with these people, with us. Even if we disagree with people, let us understand we still we are true to the truth but we're also true to the love that Christ told us to have for those people we'll never win them and we'll never be able to talk to them about truth if we truly don't have a heart of love for the person we don't have to be accepting of their sin but if we don't have a heart of love for people and we don't practice good sound wisdom we're never going to be able to influence anybody for Christ our lives will continue to spin like a wheel caught in the dirt. You may not like your boss. You may not like the people you work with. You may not like something going on in your family, but you can be the one to live a life of love and give yourself a chance to talk to just one person. Who knows what could happen? Who knows what God could do with a willing heart that's evidenced by true spiritual wisdom. And when we go out of here today, let's look at the wisdom that's spoken of in this book. Let's look at what James tells us to look for. Part of our discipleship as Christians, part of who we are to live differently, to make a difference so that we can impact the world with the gospel. And yes, I said the world. You can impact your world, even if your world is at an educational building, in a truck, in a lab, in a business, wherever you are. We have to seek God's wisdom in all of our actions. That's a good base to start with.